On this episode of Blue 58, Matt LaFleur has made his first moves as the Packers head coach, answering a bunch of questions from local media while getting interrupted a bunch more by Mark Murphy. Now that we've had some time to think all this over, what do we think of Matt LaFleur and what does the new head coach need to do next? Plus, what is he actually going to do when it comes down to the stuff that we see on the field? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. I'm excited, as always, to be with you here. And look at that. We've got some actual stuff to talk about. No more speculating. No more trying to figure out how we feel about a guy without actually hearing him as the head coach of the Packers because Matt LaFleur sat down for a while today and answered some questions in the Green Bay Packers media room. That's pretty cool. And it's a little bit weird. For the first time since 2006, we're seeing someone else do that job that Mike McCarthy did uh, above average for quite a long time. And I think overall, Matt LaFleur did a pretty, uh, just, I think, okay job. Originally, I was going to go through the news conference kind of soundbite by soundbite, talking about what he said, trying to discern any meaning out of it, seeing if there was any really meaningful quotes. But there are a couple drawbacks to that, and I don't think that's the best way of going out uh, about this. First, in a news conference like this, you're going to have a lot of planned remarks, and a lot of the things that Lafleur said up top were you know, pretty well scripted. Secondly, we have very little actual football here. Uh, nobody really asked stuff like, okay, third and two, seven minutes left in the second quarter of a week three game. What's your play call? You know, there's just not a lot of room for questions like that in an introductory press conference. And third, it's January. A lot can change between now and the time when Lafleur and the Packers are going to have to start doing actual football things. For all we know, Aaron Rodgers could get hit by a bus tomorrow and the entire franchise could change. That would be very unfortunate, and might make, make Mr. LaFleur kind of rethink all his decisions over the past week or so. But overall, I think he did a pretty pretty okay job here. He seemed pretty nervous early on, but as you know, a quarterback will do, and LaFleur is a former quarterback, he kind of settled in as the game went on. He's definitely not a super comfortable public speaker yet, though, and I think that's fine. He hasn't had a lot of opportunities to do something like that. I myself don't consider myself a particularly good public speaker, and I do a lot of this sort of stuff you know, on a federally regular basis. I don't like speaking in front of crowds of people. It makes me nervous. I much prefer to do what I'm doing right now, which is to sit in a tiny room in the dark at a relatively late hour and just talk into a microphone and let people digest my takes at a time that is convenient to them. It's hard to get all the stuff out that you want to say in a easy-to-digest format that's conducive to being cut up for evening news shows when you really haven't had a lot of practice on it. So Lafleur is going to get better at that. Would have been nice for this entire operation if Murphy didn't talk so much. Mark Murphy, that is, but that's kind of just how these things go. I think he's a bit of a nervous talker. I don't think... And one remark in particular shows you that uh, the Mark Murphy who's behind the scenes is a little bit different than the guy who talks into the microphone. If you saw the press conference, you know exactly what remark I'm talking about. Um, But I think he, he gets nervous when the microphones come on and he just talks because he feels like that's what he's supposed to do. Bottom lining it, Mark or Matt LaFleur didn't wow me, 
but they didn't hire him to do press conferences. And it is important to emphasize that almost no actual football was discussed, and almost all the football questions that were asked were so hypothetical in nature that there's almost no value to them at all, even when it comes down to stuff like the coaching staff. Almost all of it was hypothetical. But let's see if we can extract any meaning from this at all. Let's start with Mark Murphy since he he talked first and uh, talked the most, probably. Uh, He threw out a couple interesting nuggets. First, that Russ Ball was in on the interviews. This was something I kind of suspected. There were some conflicting reports on this. I think Michael Cohen of The Athletic reported that Russ Ball was in the interviews. Tom Silverstein said that he wasn't. Murphy's remarks today make it sound like he was. I don't know if there's a pro or con to having Russ Ball in those interviews. Uh, I kind of just assumed that he would be just because of where he sits in the organization. So interesting to have some quasi-confirmation there. It was interesting to see Murphy get a little bit emotional talking about Joe Philbin. And the way that he talked about him confirmed to me that I think we were right to think that he had a shot at this job. Maybe not a good shot, but it wasn't a a 0% chance that he could end up as the head coach of the Packers. He, he carries a lot of respect in that organization. It's also interesting to hear Mark Murphy shout out Charlie Casserly. That's a name we've brought up a couple different times throughout the past week or so. Casserly does a ton behind the scenes in the NFL, and he has for a long time. Uh, maybe we'll link it. Uh, maybe we'll throw it out there again when it's yeah, the combine. Uh, but Casserly used to be like the all but official source on 40-yard dash times at the Combine, his hand-timed timings of those runs. Uh, And now he's advising NFL teams throughout the league on who they should hire as their next head coach. He does a lot of stuff like that. And much like Corn Ferry, who we talked about in the last episode, maybe two episodes ago, yeah, it was the head coaching interview one, he's just one of those people who's around everything. So it was interesting to see Murphy shout him out in particular, and there are some close personal connections between Murphy and Casserly. As to the interviews themselves, Murphy's exact words were that up until Lafleur interviewed, quote, nobody stood out. That's very interesting to hear, especially since a, a lot of these guys have been under consideration for other head coaching jobs throughout the league. Other teams are interested in these guys, The Packers weren't interested in any of them. That includes Josh McDaniels, based on the conversations they had last weekend. That group of eight, other than Lafleur, was Jim Caldwell, Chuck Pagano, Joe Philbin, Josh McDaniels, Brian Flores, Dan Campbell, Pete Carmichael, and Adam Gase. None of those guys stood out. As of right now, Adam Gase has just become the head coach of the New York Jets. He stood out to them, I guess. Maybe it was a... I wonder what was the difference between what the Jets saw and what the Packers saw. Something to keep in the back of your mind as these names um, continue to circulate throughout the NFL. I think it's, I, I hope, I guess, it's wrong to assume that Lafleur got some sort of extra consideration because he was the last to interview. Murphy said he was the most prepared, he was the top candidate candidate for both himself and Brian Gutekunst immediately. They slept on it, came back the next morning, said, this is still how we feel. Murphy says he likes his small school background, Grand Valley State, 
Go Cardinals. He likes his, quote, quiet confidence and humility. And so they offered him the job, and Matt LaFleur said, I'm speechless upon being offered the job. I don't want to read too much again into LaFleur being the last to interview and getting it, but it is, it, it, it's probably one of those things that maybe didn't have a big impact on the process, but it ends up just being a bad look, and there's no real way you can get out of it. I mean, Murphy and Gutekunst seem to have done all the right things. They interviewed him. They liked what they heard. They said, we like this guy. Let's take the night and sleep on it. And that's what they did. But still, there there is that little niggling sliver of doubt in the back of your mind. Had somebody else gone last, would they have offered them the job? And Murphy got asked about this. Apparently, Matt LaFleur just crushed this interview. And somebody asked during the news conference, what would have, what would you have done if LaFleur hadn't been such an impressive candidate? Murphy gave what I thought was a pretty good answer. He said they probably would have had a second round of interviews with their top two or three choices and gone from there to see how things shook out. That seems pretty fair, and it seems like the Packers had a fairly good grasp on this process. I don't know if they put together the most exciting, outstanding group of candidates, Matt LaFleur included. But it seems like they had a process that wasn't terrible. And really, isn't that all you can hope for? I'm not sure anybody really knows what they're doing when it comes to hiring head coaches. If they did, I kind of get the feeling that head coaches would get fired a lot less. Now, that's part of just having the job. But it doesn't seem like a lot of people have really got this figured out. Then again, it's kind of selection bias too because the people who do have it figured out don't need to hire head coaches that often. So maybe the fact that the Packers haven't hired head coaches all that often is proof that they've got it figured out. But maybe we'll see in a couple of years that actually they didn't have it figured out. I don't know. You can go as far down that rabbit hole as you want. Point is, it's hard to hire a head coach. Murphy gave a couple other interesting points, and then we'll get to Lafleur here in a second about this process. Uh, He said that the leadership council, the group of kind of senior level players on the team, said that they wanted accountability from the next head coach of the Packers, that he would hold players more accountable. And I think that's a big indictment of Mike McCarthy, much in the way that people talking so much about Dom Capers and the accountability that they wanted and we're seeing from Mike Pettin was an indictment of Dom Capers. I think the talk from just over the last year of players not being held accountable is a pretty poor reflection on how Mike McCarthy was running his program. Sometimes you wonder what Mike McCarthy was doing the past couple of years. Uh, if you see all these little things come out, and we've kind of operated under the thesis throughout this process that it's not it wasn't just one thing that went wrong with McCarthy and Rodgers and this whole thing. It was a bunch of little things. But if all these little things were escaping notice, what was going on? Who were the coaches that were supposed to be watching this stuff? And why wasn't it getting addressed? If this is what these players wanted, accountability, hold us accountable, coaches hard, and nobody was doing that, what were they doing? I don't think we'll ever have an answer to that, but it's interesting to think about. 
Mark Murphy argued in his news conference that Matt LaFleur would have been the hot candidate in the NFL if he'd stayed in Los Angeles for 2018. I completely agree with this. And timing sometimes just makes things look worse than they probably should. Had LaFleur stayed in Los Angeles for 2018, he'd be a a part of one of the top four coaching staffs in the NFL right now. I mean, the Rams got to buy, the Saints got to buy, the Chiefs got to buy, and the Patriots got to buy in the playoffs. Those are the de facto top four teams in the NFL. LaFleur would have been part of that, but he said he wanted to spread his wings and try to grow a little bit personally, so he left when he didn't have to after the 2017 season. And I don't think he should be penalized for trying to do that. Yeah, things didn't work out from a record standpoint, from a stat standpoint, how he probably would have liked in Tennessee. But but there were a lot of things that happened there that were out of his control. And I don't think you should penalize him just for not being on the staff of the Los Angeles Rams in 2018. Couple more things on Murphy, and we'll move on to the real man of the hour here. This is kind of fitting. We're spending a lot of time talking about Mark Murphy, who did a lot of the talking at this news conference today. He says he's very interested in the relationship between Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst. I would agree there too. That's very interesting. Um, Murphy actually used the words joined at the hip to describe their relationship, and that is going to be a, a big deal over the next few years. These are the guys directly responsible for leveraging the last few years of Aaron Rodgers' career, however many years that may be. And if it's going to work, it's going to be because of the decisions that those two make. Finally, Murphy, after giving that praise to Gutekunst, after saying that they have to have this important relationship, pointed out that Matt LaFleur does not report to Brian Gutekunst. He reports to Mark Murphy. So that little specter of the somewhat unusual power structure still lingers now into the beginning of the Matt LaFleur area. Matt LaFleur, the man himself, the guy who sounded a little bit at times like a freshman business student presenting his business plan in front of his class for the first time. He was definitely nervous, and that's okay. He was excited too, and I think there were times when it it really did change the the tone and way he was talking the the confidence with with he spoke with which he spoke throughout this this entire news conference today one of the most notable times when it changed i thought was when he talked about working with aaron rodgers suddenly when he started talking about rodgers he went from a nervous seemingly unprepared guy to boom laser focus. I know what I want. I know what I want to do. I'm excited about working with him. We're going to do this, this, and this. That seemed interesting to me. And that happened multiple times throughout this this news conference. Maybe he was a little bit defensive, but I think that was evidence, to me at least, of him knowing what he wants in at least one particular situation. He laid out some specific things for his vision in Green Bay, Four things in particular that I think are worth talking about. He talked about wanting a championship culture. Culture is always good. The culture in Green Bay hasn't been super great over the past couple of years. He wants high character people. That's something that every coach has to say. Nobody's going to get up there in front of the podium or behind the podium or the lectern or whatever and say, you know what I would really like to collect for my football team is some low character guys. Just 
you know, hanging out with drug dealers and at strip clubs, wherever you can find them. Look under whatever rock that you can for the slimiest, grossest guys out there. Bring them to me. That's what I want in my football team. No, nobody's going to say that. So, of course, he's going to say he wants high-character people. Duh. Everybody wants that. Uh, He wants to lead, teach, and inspire the roster and the rest of the people in the building. And I think that's a good tie to the kind of culture that he wants to establish. That is something that you can work on. It's more than just the 53 guys on the roster or the 53 guys plus the 10 practice squad guys, whatever. That is worth pointing out. Finally, he wants to be process-driven. He wants to have a reason for the things that he's doing. What is the process? Who knows? He didn't elaborate. But that is something that I enjoyed hearing, that he wants to define a process for the way that he wants to get things done and stick to that process. He says he spoke to Aaron Rodgers prior to accepting the Packers job. That's an interesting nugget to me. This was prior to the Packers offering the job. Brian Gutekunst apparently asked Aaron Rodgers to reach out. The timing there is a little bit unusual, and this is the sort of thing that's going to give people who are inclined to want to see these things um, ammunition for saying Aaron Rodgers has more influence over this process than he should. How much of that is true? How much is not so true? I don't know. It's kind of just a matter of your perception, I think. Again, another one of those things that probably doesn't mean anything, but it it just looks a little bit odd from the outside looking in. Speaking of, the revelation from Matt LaFleur that he has not spoken yet as of this afternoon with Mike Patton. It had been all but confirmed, apparently, that Mike Patton and some of the defensive staff was coming back. And I assumed that happened at some point after the news conference today. But still, that's a little bit odd, isn't it? Seems a little bit odd. Again, could be another one of those timing things, but sooner or later, those timing things start to add up and you start to wonder if there may be a little bit of smoke to some of these fires or fires to some of the smoke. However, that metaphor works. He likes the roster. And that's something that we talked about as a key factor for coaches getting hired by teams and understanding the roster, he says there's an incredible amount of talent in Green Bay. Eh, we'll see. That varies a lot from year to year. Eh, that's a tough thing to say in January because your football team's going to look a lot different seven months from now when you're starting to play actual games. His philosophy. Didn't talk a lot about his offensive philosophy, but he emphasized situational football when he did, which is good. I think all football is situational, and the Packers have not done a good job of creating good situations for their players in the high-leverage situations during games. He did talk a little bit about defense and special teams, though. On defense, he wants to be what he said was a a ball-hawking, turnover-creating defense. That is something the Packers desperately need because it's kind of been a downward spiral since 2014 or so. In 2014, the Packers were 8th in the NFL in takeaways. In 2015, they were down to 19th. In 2016, they were up to 11th, not too bad. In 2017, they were 13th, but then in 2018, they bottomed out at 29th. Not super great, and the Packers could stand to get all the help they can in that area of their football team. On special teams, uh, he said he wanted to attack matchups, and that is something that I think you see the good teams throughout the NFL doing well. They don't let one phase of the game go by where they're not trying to push on other teams' weaknesses. Ron Zook, 
was a weakness unto himself. And it kind of seemed like a shot across the bow directly to Zook when Lafleur said he wanted penalty-free aggression from his special teams. There was a lot of penalties and not much aggression on the 2018 Packers special teams. Didn't have much penalty-free free play or aggression. Maybe James Crawford, I guess. Maybe Tony Brown. Other than that, not much aggression and a whole lot of penalties. Speaking of staff, he says he wants to hire one as fast as possible. Quote, that starts immediately after this press conference, end quote, from Matt LaFleur himself. So let's transition to that. What sort of staff is he going to be putting together in Green Bay? That's an, a, a tough one to answer, I think. We kind of just got to wait and see. But my thinking is that we shouldn't get confused by just the recency of his connection to Sean McVay when it comes to evaluating his potential connections. I think you'd be more likely to get some accurate conclusions if you looked at his connections to the uh, Mike slash uh, Kyle Shanahan coaching tree because most of his formative football years were with Shanahan's, not with Mr. McVay. I don't have any specific leads there. Gary did a good piece, as good as any that I think you're going to find out there on potential connections between Lafleur and assistant candidates. I think we kind of just got to wait and see what happens. What is potentially of note, though, is the chance that some members of the Packers staff could stay on. There is, of course, Mike Pettin, but there are a few other notable names out there. We sent out a survey earlier this week about potential uh, members of the Packers staff, you out there would like to see stay on in Green Bay, and the, and the responses were, were interesting. We we kind of just gave everybody a full ballot and let people pick, you know, which of these guys do you want to keep? 54 responses, 54 ballots were sent in. On 51 of those ballots, people said they wanted Mike Pettin to stay. 42 of those ballots had Joe Witt Jr. staying around. The pass game coordinator on defense. 33 ballots included the name James Campen, and another 31 included the name Jerry Montgomery, the defensive line coach. So you've got the defensive coordinator. Let's just call him defensive backs coach because that is functionally what he is, They, although they do have a secondary coach in there. The offensive line coach and the defensive line coach. I'd be pretty fine with that. I'm a little wary of telling Matt LaFleur, hey, you got to keep these guys. So if he doesn't want to keep any of those guys, I don't blame him either. I think there's something to be said for starting from scratch with your coaching staff. So maybe you just, you know, clean house. Losing Mike Patton wouldn't be great, but you could probably, it probably wouldn't be be the end of the world either. He was out of football for quite a while before the Packers scooped him up. One whole season is quite a while, I guess, in the NFL. But, the point is, everybody is kind of replaceable, and you could probably find somebody like Mike Pettin. Maybe not as good as Mike Pettin. I mean, the Packers weren't outstanding last year, but you could probably find another coach there. Point is, there were only four guys who got a 60% or better response rate in our poll. I think most people are pretty well, pretty ready to move on from the coaching staff here. The interesting thing to note, 
out of these 54 responses we got, not one person said that they wanted to keep Ron Zook around. Even the trolls that we get from other NFL teams. Nobody bothered to vote in our poll to say they wanted Ron Zook to, to stay in Green Bay. Nobody can even ironically say they want Ron Zook to stick around. That's pretty funny. Finally, what is Matt LaFleur actually going to do as the head coach of the Green Bay Packers? In January, it's a little bit hard to tell. And given how his coaching career has played out so far, it's also a little bit hard to tell. But I think there are three things that we should probably talk about. Getting running backs involved in the passing game, outside zone blocking, and 11 personnel. Getting those running backs involved, first and foremost, is going to be very important, I think, for the Packers for a couple reasons. First, they just haven't been very good at it over the time that Matt LaFleur has been involved with NFL teams. He got his first NFL coaching gig in 2008. Since then, the teams with which he has been involved have done very well at getting the ball to their running backs in the passing game. I took a look at the leading receiving back for every team that LaFleur has coached for in the NFL since 2008 and compared it with the leading receiving back from every Packers team from the same time span. And what I found was, on average, the back with the most catches on a Lafleur team averaged about 47.8 catches per year for about 407 yards. The touchdowns were kind of, are, are kind of voodoo, so don't worry about that. In Green Bay, the leading running back pass catcher caught about 32.8 catches per year for 269 yards. In only three seasons since 2008, did the Packers have a back who had more catches in a given year than a team for which Matt LaFleur coached. That would be 2010 when Brandon Jackson had 43 catches, 2012 when Alex Green had 18 to just 15 for Evan Royster when uh, LaFleur was in Washington, And then 35 in 2013 from Eddie Lacy, who outcaught Roy Hallou at 31. Other than that, every single year, Lafleur's team beat the Packers in terms of getting the ball to running backs. The Packers have a couple running backs who are fairly good with the ball in their hands when it comes to catching passes, but Aaron Jones in particular, I think, should be excited about Matt Lafleur getting running backs involved in the passing game for one simple reason. He runs the ball too much. I know that's kind of an odd thing to say in which after we're coming out of a season when Aaron Jones never seemed to be able to get the ball enough, but I mean as a percentage of his touches, too many of them are runs. I took a look at the running backs in the NFL who've had at least 249 touches over the past two seasons. That's how many that Aaron Jones has had. And I compared Aaron Jones to the top running backs in that list. The top 10 running backs by DVOA from Football Outsiders were Derrick Henry, Marlon Mack, Jones, Kareem Hunt, Joe Mixon, Ezekiel Elliott, 
Todd Gurley, Melvin Gordon, Alvin Kamara, and Christian McCaffrey. So that's the top 10. Jones is in there. Um, plus one more to give you 11. So you got 10 plus Jones. In that group, only two players ran on a higher percent of their touches than Jones. Derrick Henry and Marlon Mack, two much bigger, stronger guys than Jones. Jones is a small, shifty, open field kind of running guy. He runs the ball on almost 86% of his touches. Compare that to guys who are actually similar to Jones in both their body composition and the way they play. Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey. Kamara has touched the ball 476 times over the past two years. Almost twice as many as Jones. But just under 66% of those have been runs. He's running the ball almost 20% less than Aaron Jones. That means a lot less of those grinding between the tackles, taking on running backs in open space kind of touches for Kamara. Christian McCaffrey's even less. He's only run the ball on 64% of his touches over the last two years. He's touched the ball 523 times, but only 336 of those have been runs. He's not taken on those big guys in the middle of the field like Jones is. If Matt LaFleur can get Jones out on the edge more frequently, whether it's running or passing, I think that'll be a good thing for the Packers and for Jones. One of the ways that could happen is through outside zone runs. LaFleur is a part of the very famous, I guess, Mike Shanahan zone running game scheme. What is zone blocking? Well, it's different than man-to-man blocking. Sure, you might have guessed that if you've played sports at any level. Zone versus man-to-man are the two kind of delineations there. But from a breakdown on LaFleur's offense from the, the SB Nation Titans blog, uh, here is a definition of what zone blocking is. And it's been generally what the Packers have run. But here's what they say. Quote, the, uh, the general idea of zone blocking is, obviously, to allow linemen to block an area instead of blocking a man. That means that assignments are allowed to be more flexible based on the alignment of the defense. It also involves all members of the line moving laterally in concert. This movement does a couple things. First, it tends to reduce quick penetration from the defense as defenders are taught to scrape with the flow of the linemen rather than getting upfield to reduce cutback lanes. Secondly, it allows the running back to pick and choose his hole rather than running to a predetermined spot, end quote. Basically, the idea with zone blocking is you try to get everybody moving in a direction and kind of just let the running back feel things out rather than saying, hey, we need you to get between the, the tackle and the guard or the guard and the center on this play, and you're going to go there, no matter who's in that spot, you say, we're going to do zone blocking or a zone run to the right or a zone run to the left. It's more complicated than that, but the broad strokes are, are are you saying we're going right or left? You feel it out. Look for a cutback if you can. We're going to be blocking in this area. Do your best to get around the guys that we block. An outside zone run is going to allow Jones or Williams or whoever's running the ball for the Packers to get to the outside and kind of make it work from there. And I think the Packers have a couple guys who are pretty good at that. Williams in particular is good on more inside zone runs, but I don't want to talk about that today. You're going to hear outside zone a lot 
when it comes to Matt LaFleur's scheme. You're also going to hear about 11 personnel. 11 personnel, you probably have heard some sort of conversation around this, but for those who don't, 11 personnel is a name for a group of players that you're putting on the field. Personnel numbering has to do with the non-quarterback skill position players on the field. So you get 11 guys on a given side of the ball. One of those guys on offense is going to be the quarterback. The other five are going to be offensive linemen. The personnel groupings has to do with those other five guys, your running backs, your tight ends, and your wide receivers. In your personnel numbering, the first number is the number of backs. The second number is the number of tight ends. So 11 personnel. You've got a one and a one, one back and one tight end. A lot of people I've seen over the past couple of days, as we've gotten to know Matt LaFleur, have insisted that he uses 11 personnel a lot. That is actually not the case. According to sharpfootballstats.com, Tennessee used 11 personnel on just 56% of their offensive snaps in 2016. That's half to lower half in the league. Green Bay used 11 personnel on 77% of their plays last season. Los Angeles, the Rams, Los Angeles Rams, yeah, there's two teams there. we got to make that specification. Uh, the team with whom LeFleur is most closely associated before his work with the Titans used 11 personnel on 90% of their plays in 2018. He's not as big a fan of 11 personnel as he might might have heard. 13 personnel, however, I think it's interesting. Tennessee used on 11% of their plays last season. Second most in the NFL. So that's one running back, three tight ends. Green Bay used 13 personnel on just 4% of their offensive snaps. The broad strokes here on this personnel stuff is that Matt LaFleur, at least at a very, very surface level examination, is different than what the Packers has seen and apparently more willing to try different things than the Packers have seen. And that kind of creativity, or maybe just being different, is I think what the Packers could use, at least in the short term. Because all of this should serve to help Aaron Rodgers become just a little bit better. Because that's really going to be the bottom line of the Matt LaFleur story in Green Bay. What does he do with Aaron Rodgers? And while I've got you here, I want to talk for a second on what Aaron Rodgers needs from Matt LaFleur. I think Matt LaFleur needs to help Aaron Rodgers be just a little bit better. A lot of the people, the talking heads around NFL media, have pitched the LaFleur hire as an attempt to quote-unquote fix Aaron Rodgers. Wrong. That is wrong. This is not about fixing Aaron Rodgers because there's no need to fix Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers isn't broken. Aaron Rodgers just needs to play a little bit better. He was fine in a lot of areas in 2018, but he could be a little bit better. How much better? How about 2% better? Well, John, you say that's awfully specific. Did you just pull that number out of thin air? I'm glad you asked. No, I did not. Think back to the last time the Packers hired a head coach. The year was 2006. Very different time than now, for a lot of reasons. But Mike McCarthy that year was the newly minted Packers head coach. He had a all-pro quarterback who had won multiple MVP awards that he was working with for the first time 
second time technically, but that's not really the important part of the story. He was never going to fix Brett Favre. He couldn't. Nobody could. Brett Favre was Brett Favre. Plus, like Aaron Rodgers this year, there probably wasn't much need to fix Brett Favre. He did, however, need to help Brett Favre get a little bit better. And he did. How much better? About 2%. What's the worst thing about Brett Favre? He throws too many interceptions, right? That's always been the problem with him. As long as he's been in the NFL, he's thrown interceptions too often. Brett Favre's interception percentage, the percentage of passing plays on which he threw an interception, dropped about 2% in 2006 and 2007 from where it had been over the previous three or four years. The Packers, in that stretch, were a lot better on offense in those two years than they'd been in a while. Mike McCarthy didn't change Brett Favre, but he did help him to get better. And last season, Aaron Rodgers, I don't think, was his usual self. I think no matter what you think about what Aaron Rodgers did in 2018, you would agree that he wasn't the Aaron Rodgers that we've come to expect. He was still pretty good, better than most, but not as good as we've come to expect. In just two particular numbers, he was below his career average. Aaron Rodgers threw touchdowns on just 4.2% of his passes last year, a career low. He also completed just 62.3% of his passes. Both of those numbers are below his career averages by about 2%. If Matt LaFleur, like Mike McCarthy before him, can help his quarterback be just 2% better and get him back to being average Aaron Rodgers, I think that'll go a long way towards helping Aaron Rodgers and the Packers as a whole. If Aaron Rodgers, say, cuts down on throwaways in 2019, maybe that adjusts his completion percentage by about 2%. And maybe if Matt LaFleur can do a little bit to scheme open some open players, the Packers' offense as a whole might be a little bit more explosive and result in more touchdowns. Maybe that touchdown percentage goes up by about 2%. I don't think Aaron Rodgers needs fixing. Even if he did, I don't think anybody could. That's not really something that happens to a 35-year-old football player. Football players at that age pretty much are the players that they're going to be. And asking Matt LaFleur or anybody else to fix Aaron Rodgers or implying that that's what he needs to do is, I think, just wrong. But LaFleur can help him to be better. That's going to be his job as the next Packers head coach. And that's what Aaron Rodgers needs. And LaFleur doesn't have to help him change by a lot. Only, I think, about 2%. That's all I've got for you on this episode of Blue 58. Thank you very much for tuning in. I appreciate it very much. You can find all of our stuff about the coaching search and now about the rest of the offense at thepowersweep.com. I encourage you to check us out and check us out on Facebook and on Twitter as well. And if you would like to reach out, contact us via either of those fine websites or reach out at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. Support us if you'd be so kind on Patreon via patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Or if you'd like to wear your support for us on your sleeve, literally, click the shop link at thepowersweep.com. That'll take you to our very fine Teespring store where you can buy a t-shirt or sweatshirt that helps support the mission of the Power Sweep. As always, the freest and easiest way to support us is by leaving a review on iTunes if you'd like. Five stars, please. But no pressure. Uh, just let us know what you think of the show. It'll help more people find it and get it into their feed. 
for future episodes. We do love to hear from you. Any feedback you give us helps us make this entire operation better and helps all of us to become Smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, Smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.